Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the quiet neighborhood of Old Town, Pasadena, a lone agent searches for answers regarding his friend's disappearance in the Marshall Morris apartment building. Join agent Kevin Wilson, played by Tillman, and Adam as the handler, as the strange secrets of the Morris building are brought to light in Horde, a Delta Green scenario created by Victor Eichmann. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. There you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you would like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So you tell Gertrude, sure thing, just got to make a phone call. Yeah, uh, Kevin is going to leave her standing there and is going to make his way to the front entrance. He He's kind of on edge right now. He was before Gertrude started talking to him, like when he went downstairs and texted Coach, he was unsure of what to do next. Yeah, he was getting into high alert mode and now uh, he feels like, okay, maybe now is the point where uh, shit hits the fan. So he like wants to stand in the doorway and maybe reach someone to make a decision. So he's going to actually try to call a coach this time. You head outside past the lobby of this building, just straight outside where the front doors are. And you take your cell phone out and begin to call coach. He answers right away. And you can immediately hear in the background that he's driving somewhat frantically. Uh, It kind of reminds you of the first time he contacted you. And it sounded like he was in some kind of car chase. Uh, So you can just hear like the revving of his, of his truck in the back, in the background. Wilson, I got important news for you. Uh, Yeah. Okay. You go first. It has to do with those pictures you just sent me. I was digging into the the woman who lived on the top apartment, Rosa Hawkins. So I talked to somebody who was able to who was able to hack into her psychiatrist's computer files, and uh, he he sent them over to me. And I got some kind of weird stuff here that I wanted to wanted to share with you in regards to that that doll image that you just sent me. So. So right before this lady attacked her psychiatrist, a woman by the name of Lola Francisco, she had told Dr. Francisco that this this doll, this this image, this thing that you sent me, this was described in her file in detail. Uh, She had talked to her psychiatrist about it as it's the first and last act of a of some kind of sexual fantasy that she had Uh, her and her six-year-old niece bow before the doll and you know some kind of sexual act ensues afterwards um she then told dr francisco that she didn't want to continue with therapy anymore and at that point dr francisco threatened to report her to the police as a potential child molester and it looks like that's when the assault happened um you know because of patient confidentiality I wasn't able to doc- talk to Dr. Francisco directly, but I just thought this might be useful for you. Kevin looks back into the house. Is Gertrude uh, still standing there? She seems to be pacing around the lobby anxiously, almost like she's looking for anybody. Yeah, Kevin can't remember right now if she's the one with the good hearing or not. So he 
uh, says to coach, that's excellent news, coach. You know about the apartment I was trying to get here? The neighbors are all really nice. They're not those weird Satanists like in the last place. Ha 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 ha. Kevin, what do you... Oh, okay. I see what you're doing. Are I you in danger? Now, though, um, one, one of the neighbors just told me that... Uh, well, it's this older couple, and um, one of them apparently just went missing. I was talked to them. Was talking to them five minutes ago. I'm sure they can't be, you know, gone. They're probably just in the bathroom or have fallen asleep or something like that. It's not like this building just devours people. Jesus, Kevin. Okay, get a grip on what's happening and and call me back as soon as you can. Look, do do you think you're in any kind of danger right now? Oh, no, I think this would be a great place. You would love it. Anyway, I'm going to help the neighbor now. I'll keep you updated. Talk to you later. Do you hang up with Coach? Yeah, unless he, like, says something last minute that he wants to get through. It's like he's trying to he's trying to pry for more information, but at the same time, he can kind of recognize the tactic that you're that you're using. But he's just basically... You hear him desperately trying to figure out if you're in some kind of compromise situation if you're you know he's he's basically trying to determine if you have like a gun to your head or something right now but he's going to let you go without too much too much trouble so the phone disconnects oh i was definitely like trying to make yeah i was trying to make sure that he understands i am able to make my own decision still by saying, I'm going to try to help the neighbor and figure things out. Okay, he gets you. You guys hang up, hang up the call. So you enter the lobby and you see Gertrude looks excited to see you, almost like she forgot to see you in the first place. Oh, can you help me? Yes, you're looking for, what was the name, Manny? No. Minnie. Let's go look for Minnie. You see, she's she's kind of like lumbering back into the elevator shaft. She's starting to fumble keys in her hand, and she looks very shaken right now. And she steps into the elevator shaft. I follow in after her. She presses the button for the third floor, and you hear the elevator creaking up. And it's a it's a, like an older antique elevator. Uh, you hear like a lot of mechanical sounds as it as it brings you guys uh, just a, just two floors up still. It's like, it, it takes longer than, you know, most like office building elevators. It's just kind of like a, a experience. Uh, it looks almost like Victorian style with like golden bars and um, just like kind of ornate uh, red carpet. It's like made out of this velvety material. Uh, it has a little bit of a stale smell in there. And you're just like noticing how Gertrude is kind of just like fumbling her keys and just talking to herself. Oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, you guys arrive on the third floor and the elevator door swings open or slides open and you're out front of Gertrude and Minnie's apartment on the third floor. So when did you last see Minnie? We were just talking a few minutes ago. She went to the bathroom and oh, I went to the I went to the bathroom and when I came back, she was gone, and she, she she didn't go anywhere. We don't leave. You you need to find her. I heard her okay, in there. Okay, let's let's take a look. Did you hear? Did you hear the doorway go though? When you were in the bathroom? No, I just I just heard her. She she was asking me to feed her fish. Okay. 
Yeah, let's let's go inside. She unlocks the door to the apartment and the both of you enter through the doorway. First her, you following her. And it looks the same as as when you saw it just maybe less than an hour ago even. But you don't notice many around. You see the TV still blaring in the background. The piles of things are still there. And Gertrude is just kind of looking at you, worried, somewhat expectantly. Let's check through the rooms real quick. She's not here in your living room. Where are your, where's your fish tank? Is she maybe in the kitchen? Well, I've already looked. I, I can't find her. I, I, feel, I feel dizzy. I feel lightheaded. Okay. Okay. Please sit down here on the couch. Fish I'm going to get you. Way. Can you tell me where the kitchen is? I'm going to get you some water. Please just sit down and relax. I'm here to help you. She points towards a corner of the room that looks to be completely obfuscated by the piles of things, just completely blocked. But judging from the layout of the other apartments, you guess it that that uh, she's pointing to the kitchen and where the fridge is. But still, it's so hard to make out what is actually behind these just towers of junk. And you can see where they've kind of cleared out paths. There's a cleared out path that goes uh, straight down to where their bedrooms are. And you see that they've kind of cleared out a walking area to get to the bathroom. Uh, but the kitchen looks almost buried. Right. Do you see like a cup or a glass on a, on a stand somewhere or on the floor? Yeah, you see a, just a dirty glass on the coffee table that looks like just the one that Gertrude's been using. It's just a yellow-tinted, very old glass cup. Okay, I'm going to get her some water in the, the bathroom then from the bathroom sink. So even even though they've cleared these trails for you to get to the essential rooms of the apartment, you still find yourself just exerting a lot of effort to get to the bathroom. You're stepping over things. You're constantly, you feel like you're putting yourself through small spaces. And it's just, the closer you get to the bathroom, the, the more you're able to really see the true extent of this just maze of junk. And yeah, I probably feel like I'm about to kill myself again because I bump into something and then I'm getting, well, beaten by book stacks and whatnot. And just collapse on the floor and it's not like Minnie can help me up. <laughs> when you when you trip and you kind of um, get your bearings again, you look up and you feel very disoriented. You feel like you feel like you lost track of the directions of this room. And it's just everything is just so messy that you can't even see back to where Gertrude was back to where like the entrance of this apartment was and where the living room style area where they sat on the couch and watched TV was. And you feel somewhat alarmed for a second as you squint your eyes and try to take a, a look around the room. And you hear this voice call out to you, feed my fish, dear. Ah, that's bad. Now I'm stuck in the fourth dimension. Yeah. What do I see around me? Like besides stuff, is there still like a, a clear path that I can move along or is it kind of completely obstructed right now? It looks completely obstructed right now. You don't know if you falling had 
maybe knocked things into the path or just created a disarray out of all of these objects to the point where you can no longer see like the direction that you were headed. And to feel this way inside of a small space is like a very jarring experience for Kevin, who's seen his fair share of hordes and seen his fair share of messy houses and buildings in disarray. You feel your heart beginning to beat fast as you see in the corner of your eye, past a mountain of junk, a collection of fluorescent fish tanks. And you see that there's this kind of open space that they exist beyond the junk. And it seems like it's just implanted from somewhere else almost. It's just like a it's a, a, a stark contrast to the surrounding area of just mess and junk and nothing of value. You see these, these refrigerators, it's like a small mini fridge, and then another small mini fridge on top of that, and then like a separate, like maybe like a, looks like a, a meat freezer. And then you just see like these four almost tropical fish tanks kind of stacked on top of each other. Can I... You know, grab some loose stuff to pile up beneath me to get a better look or maybe like get a look above all the piles of junk around me to see how I can get there. Yeah, sure. It's not that difficult for you. You kind of just move some things aside and you stand up on what looks to be like a broken stool and you're able to kind of just peek over this one pillar of junk And you can see the bright glow of these fish tanks with maybe six or seven of these brightly colored yellow fish that are all dead and floating upside down on the top of the water. And you hear this generator buzz sound from the fish tanks. So can I get like a close look at them? Yeah, you can get as close as you want. And you even feel like you could approach it, you know, with a little effort. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. Also, the fridge situation is weird. Why does, you know, uh, why does anyone need so many fridges? So you walk over and you're stepping in this this clearing and you feel the sensation of just having uh, your feet on a flat ground again. And you see these two mini fridges in front of you and this, this white meat freezer that's uh, discolored from rust and oxidation and, and age i take a look in into the freezer and the fridges first are they uh, turned on they seem to be turned on you first open the mini fridge and you the fridge part of it seems to be empty and there's this small shelf freezer part on the top of this mini fridge and when you open that part to look inside you see two frozen dead cats kevin rolls his eyes pretty hard and closes up the fridge again i'm sure maybe he hasn't seen it himself uh, but he's heard stories from like the other people on his department uh, you know of like people who for whatever reason maybe they maybe they accidentally uh, actually killed a pet on on the road and they like hit the bodies but felt bad and it ended up in the freezer in some weird conundrum situation he wasn't really expecting that but 
yeah, it fits together in his head that these these two would keep their cats around after they died or something stupid like that. But with morbid interest, you know, he's going to check out the other fridge and the freezer anyway. The other fridge is empty and you open the meat freezer and lo and behold, you find quite a few dead and frozen pets, primarily cats. Jeez, Kevin would say that out loud, close it up again, like try to wipe the hand that he uh, used to open these things on on his jeans or whatever, (laughs) or shorts. I mean, this is summertime, so his attention goes back to the fish tank stone. The yellow fish are just floating on the top of this water as this bright light from the tank shines down on them. And you can just see the six of them just circling the top. But they are alive still, not just, you know. Oh, no, they're dead. They're oh. dead, floating upside down. Okay, great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think these fish need feeding anymore. You you turn around and you face this just wall of things. And you just can't help but feel this small bit of intrigue to just look at some things. Just to just figure out what, why keep all of this. And you're just kind of like observing things that are in the room. You see some French vinyl records. You see just stacks and stacks of assorted books. You see a Playmobil castle, a children's toy uh, with somebody's name carved into the back of it. You see a miniature statue of the Eiffel Tower a Ziploc plastic bag that seems to have black and red checkers. And as you begin to look at this stuff, you feel this almost childlike curiosity beginning to suck you in and you feel almost entranced by the objects. You feel like just stopping to thumb through a book on the Kennedy assassination or to just read the recipe on this pie tray. And you occasionally just feel the need to just snap yourself out of this because it's like almost, almost like this overwhelming desire to just, to just go through the items here. And when you look back up from whatever piece of garbage you felt entranced in, you just feel more lost than you previously had. You look back and you don't see the light emanating from the TV or hear the sounds or hear Gertrude's panicked, like pacing back and forth. You just feel lost in this mess. He probably has like a Playmobil figurine in his hand, reminiscing about like childhood or whatever. But he catches himself, looks around at the weird fish tank again. Gertrude, where are you? I'm at your fish tank. And you hear no reply. Kevin is going to look at the ceiling. Is it... You know, this is an old building, so I guess it would be like solid, not uh, these these ceiling tiles. You look up to the ceiling, and instead of seeing ceiling tiles, you see a night sky with black stars and strange moons orbiting the sky. You feel a breeze, and you feel waves gently crashing. And you feel yourself almost transported to a misty lake. And you close your eyes tight. And when they open again, 
you're back in the junk pile, staring up at dirty yellow ceiling tiles, worn and looking uh, smoke, cigarette smoke stained. And can I have a sanity roll? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a fail. That's going to be 1d6 sanity damage. All right, I lose three sanity, so I'm down to 62. You're starting to feel a little bit trapped and a little bit helpless as you experience that strange vision and you find yourself again trapped in the pile of junk. You're feeling very nervous and you feel the items almost calling to you. Almost, It's almost like they're offering you escape. I think Kevin right now is drawn to the ceiling still, especially with what he's seen. Uh, he feels like everything around him encroaching, like getting close to him. And while it's fascinating in a way, he also feels, uh, you know, a bit claustrophobic. Uh, so I think he would like try to scale uh, the freezer and the two fridges stacked on top of one another to lift one of the ceiling tiles. Okay, great. So why don't you give me an athletics roll as you try to try to um, maneuver this. And we'll say this will be at a plus 20 um, because it's not a particularly hard feat. I made it. The two fridges are already stacked and you find a way to uh, position yourself to stand up directly on top of them and trying to see over this clearing of junk to where like the ceiling tile is. You see that certain parts are many, actually most of this apartment at this point is just floor to ceiling junk. And you you attempt to push up this ceiling tile and it just seems just stuck in place. Like there's no high ceiling above it to where you could like try to do like a, a vent type maneuver and, and um, crawl your way out. So like you push this ceiling tile up and you feel your hand just hit, you know, not too high above to where you can't actually even fully extend the arm. As you do that, you feel the the pile of stuff under you begin to give and you kind of like start to sink a little bit into the mountain of trash that you're standing on to the point where you like fall and you're waist deep in all of this junk, just toys, furniture, all belongings. And you feel scared for a second, like you're going to meet whatever fate Minnie has just met in this place. Surely she's trapped underneath something, just like you, just like ha- what just happened to you. And you know, you feel that panic and that that sensation of just claustrophobia as you struggle to break free of these things. But before long, you are able to kick your way out of the pile. So, what's my situation right now? Am I still trapped in the pile, or am I, you know, kind of on top of it, crawling along? Imagine a McDonald's ball pit. You feel like you're ankle deep in a McDonald's ball pit. Like it's just like you're wading through all the things that are inside of this apartment. And something unnatural has happened because when you look back, you no longer see, you no longer see the beginning of this apartment. The geography of this place is beginning to change and not make sense to you. And you smell a strange aroma of cinnamon buns. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Kevin is starting to question his decisions right now. 
I'm going to need you to give me a sanity roll as you feel pulled towards a collection of objects you see. I passed this one. I think Kevin is, you know, trying to focus. He's he's trying to keep his eyes away from all the junk around him and on the matter at hand that he can't get out. His ceiling plan didn't work out. So now he's like looking for a glimpse of light again, which he hasn't seen in a while, but maybe there is a, a window blocked by all kinds of stuff somewhere that he could break through and third floor apartment is a bad decision, but maybe he can ask for help. <laughs> he just needs a way out. So right now it's becoming very clear to you that the apartment does not match the layout of the other apartments. The size of this on the inside doesn't seem to make much sense to you anymore. As you can see that you can go on in the distance seemingly endlessly. And it's almost like this junk just continues forever. And can I get a search roll from you? Oh, I just failed by one. (laughs) So you begin to wade through some of the objects, uh, looking for any kind of clearing, looking for any kind of opening or just like uh, a path, basically. Um, any, Any spot where you just won't be just trapped in the pile. It's almost like you're on top of a dumpster right now. And it's just like you're trying to find any spot that's just going to be a regular, regular home. And it's like you feel yourself wading through these objects and it almost feels waist deep at some points. The items just seem increasingly impossible and pointless. You see a dozen bioluminescent bonsai plants just sitting on top of piles of junk as if they've just been carefully placed. You see a child's ivory mask with a hundred elegant figures dancing around its edge. You see a Dracula costume stained with semen. You see a Rube Goldberg machine with a note attached to it. It promises to reverse charcoal into living plants. You find several hundred issues of the Nova Belgica Tribune periodicals that seem to be from alternate histories and alien worlds. Kevin is thinking back to Tim and he's just getting a bit, well, restless and frustrated. Like, what the fuck did I get myself into? And you begin to think about Tim. You can't help but feel lost in here, trapped in here. And you wonder if maybe some part of Tim is still lost in here, still trapped in this mess. Sure, some part of Tim left, returned home, tried to continue on with a normal life, but him as a person, his his being, it's maybe that's still here. Yeah, uh, and Kevin also thinks back to the to the basement he went to with Graham earlier with something that was so incomprehensible and uh, so unquestionably bad that they didn't really want to look at it and he's trying to channel that feeling like he he doesn't really want to he's trying to hold on to the fact that he doesn't belong here maybe if he just really uh, feels that he can get out of here intact and not leave part of himself behind you push on through more junk and you arrive at a bit of a clearing and 
with a feeling of relief, you take steps forward and you feel yourself just surrounded by just total darkness and blackness. And when you look around you, it's almost like the background has disappeared. You find yourself back on that, on that beach, staring up at the black stars in the sky. You feel yourself at a place where all realities intersect, where all times exist as one. And a bald man approaches you. He's wearing a bellhop outfit that seems to be from the 1930s or maybe even earlier. He has strange characteristics, a large nose and somewhat hunched appearance. And he walks over to you calmly and he puts his hand out and opens it. And you see a note in his hand. I look at him kind of... He stares uh, at you expressionless. Okay. Yeah, try to get a feel for the guy for a little bit. But if he's just standing there holding out his hands, I think eventually like Kevin can take it and reaches out and takes the note. You hear the waves crashing in the background as this black ocean crashes against the shore. And you take the note and you open it up to read it. It's folded several times over. The fabric is almost this translucent parchment. It feels like money with nothing printed on it. And in a slanted cursive writing, you read, the queen allows passage to meet the king. You flip over to the back and written in the same handwriting, it says, you have been chosen to organize the collection for the museum. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) And he passes you. He reaches into his coat pocket and he takes the hand out again. And on his hand is a card turned face down. You can't tell if it's a playing card or a tarot card or a piece of paper, an invitation, an envelope. You can't really tell what the purpose of it. It has a very ornate design pattern on the background that seems to draw you in. But part of you knows that turning this card will have consequences that you won't be able to easily go back from. And you still feel yourself drawn in, tempted to look at what's on the other side. You know that when you see what's offered to you, your reality will be different. It's like seeing a sign and you contemplate if it's a choice you want to make. You contemplate if this is what Tim did, but it feels like almost he made the right choice in this, in this moment. Like the price you pay for absolute truth is worth it because it's just total freedom. What do you do? Ooh, this is a <laughs> weird turning point. <laughs> so we are still at this beach, right? With the night sky. Yes. The strange night sky and this, this hunchback. Yes, you guys are still at the beach. Kevin holds up the note and and points at the thing with the collection and asks the guy, what does this mean? He just stares at you blankly. What? Why don't you talk? He's staring at you still unfazed as you begin to grow more uncomfortable, as you begin to take in the surrounding and the unnaturalness of the situation. I'm following the steps of my friend Tim. Was he here? You feel frustrated as... Everything you ask is just greeted with the same empty 
look. Yeah, Kevin is confused right now. He has he feels like he's in between worlds in a way. He desperately really wants to like be home right now. He he wants to be with Graham and his wife and he wants to call coach again and tell him, yeah, everything is okay, nothing nothing exciting happened. Uh, but also um this whole situation is like super intriguing to him. He he understands if Tim came here uh and saw all these surroundings, he would have known this is something big and maybe this can really help out the organization. Maybe I can learn something very valuable and important. But then again, uh, Tim is, well, he's lost his mind. The waves continue to crash on these shores and the man with his hand extended with the card, he looks at you for a moment longer and closes the hand with the card inside of it. Hey, I didn't make my decision. Why don't you just talk to me? He begins to trudge away in this almost automaton-like manner, just walking along the, the shores of these waters. You feel yourself snap back into a sense of reality, and you find yourself back in the horde of this building, still surrounded by pitch darkness, yet not the same as the one you just saw at this at this beach the image of those stars sits with you like a painful memory but also like like something from childhood that you're just now rediscovering and as you begin to try to gain your bearings again you see another strange collection that seems to be calling you forward and as you look at it uh, not even like walking towards it as you look at it you can see buried in there what looks to be something resembling a mannequin's head. Does it remind me of the the drawings from the artist in any way, or is it different? It does. It seems like the source of these drawings. And even though you can only make out a glimpse of it buried in between chair legs and old broomsticks, you know for certain that that is what Patrick recreated in his art, that that's what the children recreated in their playtime. And, and they it, called it the queen, right? Yes. Do they still have the note, by the way? <laughs> you don't. Ah, uh, that's bad. <laughs> you see a long strand of golden yellow hair sticking out of this pile of junk, a glob of gum connected to the hair, in the same way that the children had put a glob of gum on the makeup doll. Can I like pull on it and try to dislodge it from the rest of the junk? You break it free from the rest of the junk. And as you hold it in your hands and you look into its face, you are filled with this sensation of just this world-ending paranoia, this feeling of being truly awakened to the madness of the universe and of true understanding of this place that connects all things. And the part of you that is still Kevin, the part of you that still remains tethered to this reality tells you to break it for your life. The thing in my hands? Yeah, it's almost like Medusa's stare. It's like you feel yourself fading as you look into its face you feel yourself becoming corrupted by it 
I'll try to rip out the hair strands and then find the heaviest blunt object around me and smash it. <laughs> so you begin to tug out these strands of synthetic yellow blonde hair and they fall to the floor like ribbons and you place the the bust on a surface and you you grab one of these chair legs and you're getting ready to to bludgeon this object you see this green smoke starting to trickle out of it and as you realize or as you contemplate that every person in this building and every person that visits this building is corrupted and haunted by this object you just swing at it with all your might and the porcelain head breaks a faint whiff of the green smoke trickles out of it and it has a powerful herbal smell like absinthe and you feel almost sickeningly drunk when you breathe it you cough for a, a few moments and your eyes water and as you as you regain your bearing you find yourself again in the junk but now a feeling of calmness passes over you yeah i think kevin is like taking a moment to regain his composure uh, to catch his breath and he takes in his surroundings again and is there still this this weird pull to all kinds of random objects is it still this sensation of everything encroaching to him or has he gotten back a sense of like normalcy You've gotten back a sense of normalcy, but you still feel the potential that objects in this room are dangerous in the same kind of way. You're actually not sure. You start to think about how certain things in that room are definitely collections from the old women, but certain things in the room might as well be things that were copied over or something, things that just belong because of some some bridge that was created some rift in this apartment and you think about the crack in the floor and you think of you think about ways to make it plausible in your head and i need another sanity roll ah shit why did i think of things i, I just need to smash them with oh the yeah chair. i forgot you thought of some that's a fail okay 1d6 sanity damage yeah that's bad i rolled a 6 <laughs> um what happens if i reach my breaking points Oh, well, that's pretty fun. You gain a disorder and your new breaking point is going to be whatever your current sanity is minus your power. I mean, I'm not quite there yet, but... Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm, I'm contemplating what to do with this sanity damage because I can put it on my bonds, right? You can project it onto a bond. Uh, it's going to... It's going to harm your relationship with the person, but uh, you can use it to soak up some of that some of that sanity loss. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin projects it onto the relationship with his wife every time from now on when she's like buying something without like consulting him, which he wouldn't need to do. But every time she gets a new dog toy or something, now he's like, what the fuck are you filling our house with all this bullshit? <laughs> it's turning okay. in such a fucking mess. <laughs> so basically the way that we do this Okay, you need to reduce your willpower in a bond by 1d4, and then you get to test again if that's something you want to do. So, I mean, it's not without risks because you could damage your relationship with your wife and still, you know, lose sanity potentially, but it's like you get a redo at this 
at the expense of one d four with your wife's bond. Let's do it because I'm I'm liking my idea that Kevin now hates acquiring new things. <laughs> I love it. Okay, and that's not great, but I rolled a three for the bond thing, so the score goes from twelve to nine. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Okay, but I passed my sanity check. Cool. All right. Yeah. So you're you're able to fight off the crazy for this moment, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how how that plays out. I think uh, Kevin is like in this in this weird state. You know, when you get really frustrated with some mundane task, you gamify it in a way. You like start uh, smashing things around you and sing and maybe yell out names of people you don't like and yeah take that you stupid vase um, he's just getting through all this stuff smashing things left and right and singing to himself like i'm not never gonna end up like this i'm not going to let anyone around me end up like this fucking tim he should have taken me with him when he came here this is all like crashing through your head as you stumble back into your own reality And you find yourself in this apartment, still surrounded by junk, but Gertrude standing at the end of the room, still looking at you expectantly, the TV still buzzing in the distance. And it's like, it's like time never passed, but you feel this sense of disgust almost. You feel this almost contempt for the old woman, like angry at her obliviousness or something. But part of you is confident that wherever... Mini is the link is broken now in this place. And you're not really sure how anybody else would understand that. And she's looking at you expectantly. I think Kevin is kind of out of breath and frustrated and just stares at her for a moment. I went through every room. She's she's not here. I can't I can't find her. I can't help you. Can I can I go now? You can still call the police. I I don't know what to do. And she looks at you somewhat disappointed and, you know, she, she says like, oh, okay, okay. And she, you know, kind of lets you go. She, she struggles with you a little bit to try to maybe convince you to stay, but like, you know, she's, she's starting to, you know, you, you're like convinced that she needs to call the police at this point. Like, there's no way. Oh, know. I just want to go. I- yeah. I'm going to tell her like whatever excuse I can make. So I just can, you know, leave. Okay. I'm not calling anyone for her. I'm leaving. I'm telling her to, you need to do something. I need to leave, you know, (laughs) kind of on that note. Okay. Anything else you want to cover before we flash back to Connecticut about a week later? Yeah. I mean, Kevin is rushing out of that shitty house, going to find his rental car get into his hotel and, you know, shower for a really long time to get off the grime and junk from from the horde off. He's going to text coach, though. I made it out and they probably arranged to, like, meet up in Connecticut again. So we can, yeah, we can flash back to that or flash forward, and actually. So flash forward to you and coach. We'll say you guys are back at the fishing location. This time you're just both inside of coach's truck. He hasn't gotten out to fish. He has brought you here just to talk about what happened. He lights up a cigarette and he pushes the pack to you to see if you want one. Nah, I'm good. I I got enough crap in my lungs from 
from back there. So what's going on? What can you what can you tell me? Is any way we can help Tim? Any anything we get get out of this? No, I think I've made it worse for Tim actually. But hopefully that was for the better of most of us. And he kind of looks at you. He begins to talk and then he silences himself. Look, okay. I'm not sure why I know this. You have to trust me that I kind of understand it without having, you know, actually understood it. I have a loose connection of things that I can tell you. This house has some sort of gateway to other places. And there is a collection of sorts, really just a bunch of trash that these two women were hoarding. But I, I lost my, my sense of place in there. And suddenly I saw all kinds of wild artifacts. Eventually this guy on the interdimensional beach invited me to be the curator for his museum. I didn't feel like it and he left and I was back in the horde. And then I found this, this mannequin head, the one I sent you a photograph of, the painter saw it as well. And the, the children of the CEO kind of guy they were reenacting this this scene with one of their dolls. And I had that same feeling, you know, that feeling that Graham and I had back in that that weird basement. And I pulled through and I, I broke the stupid mannequin thing. And I think in the process, and I'm not sure why I know this, I think in the process I cut the connection in a way between the two places. But this old lady... Mini, and I think part of Tim there on the other side. Does any make, uh, anything of that make sense to you? I feel so stupid. Oh yeah, and the painter is gone too. He's probably on the other side as well. You see, he's like staring out the window and he flicks the cigarette out and he kind of just like rubs his hands together, just like kind of nervously. And he's like, okay, well, well you broke it. Good. Okay. You broke it. Good. Good. It's uh, done the right thing then, son. It's good. Okay. All right. Okay. And he's like, you, can I get a human roll from you? 42 under 50. So you're watching him rationalize and you're, you learn something about coach. You learn his process. You learn that the reason why he, he does what he does, the reason why he's involved in all this is so he can put those feelings away. Like, like you just watched him do where he just kind of talks to himself for a little bit and he's like, okay, like it's, it's done. That's, that's done. That's taken care of. And um, he's just kind of being very cold and very operational about all of it once he processes it. And then it's almost like this switch turns and he's just regular coach again. So well, I don't know if we should, should we tell Graham about this? Tell Marie about it or? I don't know. It's kind of a final thing now. We, we can tell them. I don't think they're going to like it, but I would feel bad withholding it and probably break down after like two weeks. So it doesn't matter. We, we can just tell them. You're right. You know, we're, we're a team. Should all be on the same page. I'll... Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we should tell them rather soon, actually. And then hopefully it will only be a, a short time where things are rough and then it'll settle again. You and Coach spend a little bit of time together just in the car. Uh, a lot of the time just in silence, just kind of 
thinking about what happened, about what the next steps are. When it starts to get dark, Coach drops you back off at your house. You're greeted by Haley and the dogs. She's excited to see you. She kisses you on the cheek and you feel like she, well, she kisses you on the cheek and you know that she just doesn't grasp the intensity of what just happened to you, obviously. She thinks you just went to that conference, probably had a very kind of boring time or whatever, and now you're back. And it's like, it's hard for, you feel the, you feel that want to just kind of like unload what you've been through, but you also just, you know, you you think for the better and don't. Yeah. He's feeling like the tension right now, but he's trying to like downplay it and say, oh, it's just jet lag and long a couple of days. I just need some shut eye. Like, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. It's boring and, you know, he gets kind of grumpy and he feels bad for it and but he can't really do anything. So feeling kind of tired, you decide to retire for the night and you find that you fall asleep very quickly. You find yourself transported into this dream. In this dream, this story plays out before you, a story of a king, and it doesn't make much sense to you. You wake up feeling somewhat groggy and you see Haley asleep next to you and you find yourself standing up and walking over to the window. You look outside and in the night sky, you see the black stars shining down on you and you look up at them before returning to bed. If you enjoyed this game of Delta Green, make sure to check out our other Delta Green one-shots. We have several listed now and more to come soon.